Hi, everyone, and welcome to part two of Jean Benet Ramsey. If you have not heard part one, please go back and check that out, or you might be a little confused. There's going to be some repetitive details in this one, but a whole lot of brand new details. So be very excited, but also it's still very sad, very devastating case. So when we left off last time with the discovery of her body, I want to pick back up with a little conspiracy. I wouldn't call it that, but I will say that all family members have pretty much been acquitted in the public's mind and are just being, I don't know, mentioned over and over and putting out defamation lawsuits. So just bear that in mind. For those purposes, I'm going on the record here to say that they've been cleared and we can't really legally say that they did it. So we can't. Anyways, just from the jump, I'll just get that out of the way now that they've been cleared. But trust me, we have a lot more details to go over. Starting with this one, which in my opinion is kind of vague, but very juicy. We know that Patsy was the one who called 911 the morning of December 26th when she found the note on the stairs. But what if I told you that she wasn't the only one awake when she claimed she was? Ooh. The 911 operator and others who have analyzed the audio say that they can hear what sounds like Burke in the background. Not only that, but Patsy can be heard saying what sounds like, well, I'll let you listen. And I found a decent recording, so let's see what we think, and then we'll go back over it. thought she hung up the audio kept recording and that's what we're going to talk about um i could or okay yes go ahead and then i have a transcript too so because it was so breathy 911 emergency police what's going on 755 15th street what is going on there ma'am we have a kidnapping hurry please explain to me what is going on okay we have a there's a note left and our daughter is gone. A note was left and your daughter is gone? Yes. How old is your daughter? She is six years old. She is blonde. Six years old. How long ago was this? I don't know. I just found a note and my daughter is missing. Does it say who took her? What? Does it say who took her? No, I don't know. It's there. There's a ransom note here. It's a ransom note? It says SBTC victory. Please. 
What's your name? Are you Patsy Ramsey? I am the mother. Oh my God, please. I'm okay. Okay. I'm sending an officer over. Okay. Please. Do you know how long she's been gone? No, I don't. Please. We just got up and she's not here. Oh my God, please. Okay. Please send somebody. I am, honey. Please take a deep breath for me. Okay. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Patsy, Patsy. And then after Patsy, I guess, thought she hung up, there's some extra audio in there. And um, it's pretty interesting. So the operator's name is Kimberly. And she says that it's proof that Burke is responsible for his sister death. Or, you know, some people believe that this is proof that his brother, that her brother did it. And what Kimberly said, her name is Kimberly Archuleta. She spoke out about the call saying that it was the hardest call she ever took. And she says, I think it's because there was something inside me that said something's not right. Explaining that when Patsy failed to properly hang up, she heard that what she believes was another voice. She says, the third voice was a male voice. I knew there was a third distinct voice. Kimberly stayed on the phone because she felt like Patsy's behavior was unusual for someone who was reporting their young child missing. What bothered me immensely after hanging up, it sounded like she said, okay, we've called the police, now what? And that disturbed me. She Mm. said, I remained on the phone trying to hear what was being said. It sounded like there were two voices in the room, maybe three different ones. I had a bad feeling about this. To me, it seemed rehearsed. Rehearsed. That's never changed. Ooh. Kimberly. That's, uh... I don't know. I heard some muffling and I can hear her saying, help me Jesus after she thought she hung up. But it sounds like there are other voices, but we can't really tell what they're saying, obviously. Yeah, it did sound like there was other voices. But even if she said like, okay, we called the police now, what it that still would coincide with someone that has legitimately thought that their child was uh, kidnapped. You know what I mean? True. I guess, I guess you're right. It doesn't seem like it's a planned in a, in a dark way. Like if she would have like not stayed hysterical, like if she would have said that she didn't, they said that after she thought she hung up when she says, okay, we did it. Now what? That it went straight back to normal. And that's what freaked Kimberly out and a lot of other people when they, listen to it because they say that they can hear her completely change her um yeah Hmm. but i agree with you um that's the biggest sign that if it's if it was like mal i don't know like she was like okay now what (laughs) yeah but how does that prove that burke did it i mean though i do we're gonna get into it we're gonna get into it so okay Mainly because the the parents claimed that Burke completely was in the dark, like he was asleep the whole time, which I find very hard to believe kids are so nosy unless he already knew what happened, mm-hmm. um, didn't need to ask any questions, but we will definitely discuss that. Um, geez. Okay, so that call is frantic and it sounds horrible if it's real. But Kimberly thinks it's rehearsed. Some people think it's rehearsed. I don't really know what to think about that call because whenever people call 911, it seems to me more natural that they would be freaking out and not just be like calmly saying their address and their name. And, you know, you're not like calling right. to ask if the restaurant has reservations, you know? Yeah. Um, so 
here we go. So the 911 operator, Kimberly, said she stayed on the line even though it's clearly, it's clear that Patsy meant to hang up. She felt uneasy about the call, like something, like something wasn't right. And the operator claims that she heard Patsy say, okay, we've called the police, now what? And that she was trying to listen to how many voices there were because there's at least two and maybe three. Maybe she's talking to Burke. So with that, let's look at the transcript, which I just read in case we didn't hear the words. And now, um... That also is on statementanalysis.com. So if you guys want to go over and see what that person says about what she's saying, if it makes sense. Because there are a few times when she's like, there's been a... And she doesn't... It's almost like she almost says, like, maybe she meant to say kidnapping, but she almost said murder. You know what I'm trying to say? Oh, yes. Yes. Because some of the lines she doesn't finish completely saying... Uh, so that, that, it's that kind of stuff. If y'all are interested in that, you can head over to statementanalysis.com. But wait, there's more. This 911 call was not the only one made from this residence. In fact, three days before her murder, during a lit Christmas party at the Ramseys, someone secretly called 911. What? Yes. To, 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 to say what? Exactly. Look, okay. So, <clears throat> going back to the sun the magazine The Sun, Jean Benet murder clue, Jean Benet Ramsey mystery deepens after it emerges, emerges, silent 911 call was made from the home during Christmas party three days before the child's disappearance. Oh, nothing was said. Mm-hmm. A true crime writing duo have said cops in Boulder, Colorado received a silent call on the evening of December 23rd, 1996, but when they rang back, no one picked up. And they didn't go over there? They did. They did. So an officer drove to the location from which the call had been made to check if anything was wrong. A Christmas party was in full swing at the 15-room Tudor home, and the door was answered by a family friend of John and Patsy Ramsey, Susan Stein. She blamed the call on someone trying to order medicine for an aging parent who had not meant to use the emergency number. She would not let police in. Lisa Wilson and Nick Vanderleek, Authors of the Craven Silence trilogy believe there was more to this call and that those present may have become involuntarily complicit. What the fuck? We believe something happened at the party, something serious, they told news.com.au. Secrets kept on 23rd December were repeated under far more serious circumstances three days later. This time, the Ramses knew they could rely on their friends to keep their secrets. Their friends assumed the Ramseys were innocent, and if they felt otherwise later, they were ostracized, sued, or accused. Hours after Mrs. Ramsey's hysterical Christmas Day call to cops informing them her daughter had been kidnapped, police found six-year-old Benet dead in the John Benet dead in the basement of the family home. The little girl was discovered with a homemade girl. Um, oh, I haven't, uh, I haven't gone into this yet. But they discuss how her body was found, and the family blamed an intruder um, who came through the open basement window, which we haven't gone over that either. John Benet had quite a lot of damage to her body, um, so they're going to talk about that. A Colorado grand jury voted in 1999, here it is, to indict Mr. and Mrs. Ramsey on charges that each did unlawfully, unknow- uh, did unlawfully, knowingly, recklessly, and felonously permit a child to be unreasonably placed in a situation that posed a threat of injury to the child, their life, or health, which resulted in the death of Jean Benet, and did unlawfully, knowingly, recklessly, and felonously, 
render assistance to a person who had who had committed murder in the first degree and child abuse resulting in death. Wow. So they were already ready to like put them on there. And the district attorney, Alex Hunter, decided not to indict as long um, has long been controversial. And this weekend, an explosive joint report to the Boulder Daily Camera and local news station Nine News found DNA evidence did not support the former prosecutor's decision to let the family off since it in- indicated that samples came from at least two people. What? So we're going to talk more DNA later. This article is like getting ahead of me here, but the the DNA could have been multiple people and they cleared the family members. So they didn't, the district attorney didn't want them to be indicted for, you know, this crime. So he said there wasn't enough evidence, but DNA says otherwise, like it could have been two people or more people present. They could have been involved somehow, whether they touched anything in the crime or not, like they could have been indicted, but they weren't. It's since changed. So, uh, and we'll get we'll get back to the DNA evidence in a minute. But in September, CBS docuseries The Case of JonBenet Ramsey, a panel of investigators alleged JonBenet's brother, nine-year-old Burke, was responsible for the murder, and the children's parents, John and Patsy Ramsey, covered up the crime. Okay, here's these authors again. I don't know if they're friends of them or they're just people who theorize online. They believe so. Miss Wilson and Mr. Vanderleek. Alleged Burke was jealous of his sister because she was beautiful, confident, and shared her mother's passion for pageants. She was like a little celebrity, and um, while her older brother was more awkward. They believe he envied John Bonet receiving a generous bicycle for Christmas when he did not. The Ramseys have changed their story over who did and did not get a bike. So why would they change their story? That's weird. If that was the motive for Burke to kill his sister was the bike. And then further, the pineapple that he was eating, which we will get into. That's, but you know, in a nine-year-old child's mind, that's something to be mad about to the point of like killing somebody. I don't know. There was certainly an opportunity for kids to run wild a bit, said Mr. Vanderleek. It may have started in the bedroom with a pillow fight. JonBenet's room was a mess. There was a pillow pillow on the floor and one in the kitchen. Oh, maybe she carried it back out with her Stop when she went to go pineapple. She woke up sleepy and she was like, I want some too. I'm hungry. The authors alleged she was killed after being struck over the head, only they believe he used a golf club or a baseball bat rather than a torch left on the kitchen table, as the CBS documentary claimed. So, so many documentaries have, like, added new stuff to the mix here. Um, there is a very chilling, there is very chilling evidence a child was involved in the crime, said Mrs. Wilson. Said Miss Wilson, unusually for the status-seeking family, there were no photos or phone records from that Christmas, with Mr. Ramsey claiming he had lost his mobile. Hmm. If something is a first-time or unusual event on the day someone is killed in their house, you have to ask why, Miss Wilson added. The absence uh, of evidence is often evidence. She's on to something there. Yeah. Um, they are... Family friend Judith Phillips has told a story about Burke injuring John Bonet with a club a year earlier, while a housekeeper said he had smeared feces in her bed and on one of her Christmas gifts. What? Yes, and who? Like I said, you know, people come forward. They want they want a little money. They'll say anything oh, yeah, about Burke right. or the family. But if this is true, that is very hostile energy toward a little sister who's very successful, beautiful, outgoing. Everybody loves her. Have you seen um, Welcome to the Dollhouse? No. Oh my gosh, you would love it. You know the best friend who's um, Lily from Princess Diaries? Yes. 
she is the girl who's the main actress in Welcome to the Dollhouse. And it's kind of a, a weird, disturbing, like dark comedy, but she's jealous of her little sister who's like in ballet and everyone loves her. She's like cute and blonde. And that's what it reminds me of, like how Burke would feel towards John Bonet. Like she gets all the attention. She gets all the good gifts. Well, when you think about it, pageants bring in money too. So, I mean. Yeah, but they were already fucking <laughs> loaded. I know. It costs too, those gowns and everything. So, I mean, yeah. give and take. But in other words, like Burke is not really um, attributing to his family too much, like the way that John Bonet is. If there are those kinds of feelings present in a nine year old's mind, <laughs> they are two of the only Ramsey friends to have broken ranks, according to the authors, along with the Whites, the Fleet Whites. I guess that's what the guy's name was. Fleet. Yeah, I know. Doesn't that sound like a ship? It's a ship. Bleed white. That is the fucking. That's the guy who was with John when he found John Bonet's body. But that is Bleed the white. fucking craziest name. Like, wh- whose name is that? I know somebody rich. Yeah, for sure. The um housekeeper and Judith Phillips are two of the people who have come forward and said that those things about those kinds of things about Burke, and then. Um, according to the authors, along with the Whites. So they've both faced lawsuits over this. And I wonder what mm. Fleet White would have to say, considering he was there when John found his daughter's body. He must have had a lot of details to add. And then he immediately had to like shut his mouth because he got <laughs> uh, served with a lawsuit. But secrets were important to keep because of John Ramsey's massive affluence with his access graphics, they say. After Mrs. Ramsey's Boxing Day call, police found a strange three-page ransom note, apparently from a small foreign faction who demanded that amount, yada yada. The note was written on Mrs. Ramsey's pad along with some practice drafts, and police repeatedly compared it to her writing but could not draw a conclusive answer about whether or not they matched. The Ramseys moved into the home of Glenn and Susan Stein shortly after the murder and stayed for five or six months, even after Mr. Ramsey returned to work. That's who they stayed with in Michigan or in um, Georgia. Where did they go? Michigan? They went to Georgia. They went to Georgia to bury John Bonet, and then they went to stay with the Steins. And I guess that's why they came forward with this information because they were present in the days following this whole mess that is so terrible i wonder if they overheard i would have been so nosy i would have felt so bad and like wanted to like be supportive for my friends but also like i want to know like yeah see let's have some tea like <laughs> come, um, <laughs> i have some questions so the ramses moved in with them and then mrs stein nicknamed patsy's pitbull often drove the boys to school and mr stein was even employed by mr ramsey there was this incredible solidarity with them, said Miss Wilson. What's frightening about the case is the way a very wealthy family got everybody to dance, Ooh, yes. said Mr. Vanderleek. There are likely to be more revelations over the coming months as the anniversary approaches. <gasps> Ooh, yes. Okay. Well, that was that. So we now know that there was an additional call, which the reason about the medication needing to be ordered doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah, you don't- why would you do that at a party? It's not like they accidentally called the police. Like, it's clearly stating, like, they called 911. You don't... Hello? Yeah. Unless uh, unless a child tried to call 911 and they were like, what are you doing? Because <laughs> something was going on that was nasty. No, don't say. I know. I'm... It gets crazier. If you thought those were the craziest conspiracies to come out of this or theories to come out of this, you're wrong. So... 
back to my notes, there were two calls from that residence within the same week. And like I mentioned in the last episode, I found a longer interview with Detective Linda Arndt, and she was the only one on this interview. So it was a completely separate thing than all the specials and the 2020s. They just kind of included some clips in some of those. But Linda Arndt was interviewed, and it's a quite telling with the details that she shares. The interview aired on September 17th, 1999. So that morning of December 26th, after the 911 call and the initial police arrive, Detective Linda Arndt of the Boulder Police is called up. And she was told by her supervisor that she was to show up before 8 for the purpose of monitoring the phone call. Um, What she ended up dealing with was a whole lot more. She's left pretty much alone with the family and their friends. And how is she supposed to control the residence once it goes from a kidnapping to a murder, causing this to be an active crime scene? She notes that John didn't seem too upset. Uh, She describes him as cordial upon greeting her but acknowledges that people handle stress differently. And she says she uh, just kind of was making observations throughout the day, not really trying to judge or anything, but was make, was taking notes in her, in her mind, essentially. And she says that at one point, John stopped to go through his mail in the kitchen. And she doesn't speculate, but she did note that that stood out to her. He, that he had just stopped what he was doing to check the mail. Yeah, I'm not sure what he stopped doing, like if he was in the middle of something or if maybe he was trying to distract himself or look for something from the kidnappers if they had somehow put something in the mail. Um, So he's in the kitchen looking through mail and she just like noticed that like it almost seemed like she was trying to um, insinuate that it was a normal day for him like. Oh, you know, I go about my normal stuff now. So 10 a.m. comes and goes and 1030 a.m. She called for backup repeatedly because she's been waiting there like they were supposed to just probably go get a quick bite and then come back. She was told that everyone was in a meeting the first time she called and the second time she called. They were like, we got the message. <laughs> so they didn't come. They just were like, OK, anyways, annoying. So one 1 p.m. She asked John and Fleet White to check the house. She said, don't touch anything. And she heard Fleet White scream for an ambulance. She ran to find them. And this is when John is carrying John Bonet up the stairs with her in his arms. And she says that what she had mentally noted that morning as she monitored the residents just all came flooding back into her mind. It just all made sense to her. That's literally what she said in the interview. Like she doesn't explain. She doesn't really want to name anybody but she says it all made sense when he's when she saw him carrying her up the stairs and that gave me chills the look on her face like she's not messing around she put it together that jean benet had been dead for a while she told john to put her down and got on the ground and leaned down confirming that she was dead john actually did ask is she dead and she said yes she's dead she tells him to call 911 she says everything made sense in that instant and she has never wavered She knew the killer was still in the house. That's what she said. Wee, that is scary. Oh, sweet. Oh, gosh, I can't. Then this is when John Bonet is moved to the living room and John lays her on the ground close to the tree. As he is already doing it, he asks if he can cover her up and he placed a blanket over her. So he wasn't even asking. He was like, okay, we're just going to. Do this. this." And Detective Arndt is heard. Detective Arndt heard Patsy wailing her describing this moment just brought me back to hereditary that moment when she's like oh lord 
So detective Arndt heard Patsy wailing from the back area of the home. I guess she heard the news of what of John Bonet being found. And Patsy, a pastor, and four friends come into the room. And Detective Arndt, I mean, she what is she going to say to a grieving family? So she does what she thinks is best and is trying to keep everybody out of the way and from touching things. So she says, do you want to say bye to John Bonet? This is your only time to do it. And Arndt calls 911 saying that the kidnapping has turned into a murder case. Oh, my goodness. John Bonet was brought up five after one from the basement and by 110 nobody was there like an ambulance wasn't there like hello a body has been found so she would expect somebody to be like racing to their house she saw an ambulance drive by but it wasn't for their house and she was like i feel like i'm in the twilight zone where is everybody Mm -hmm. she couldn't believe it and she said that they said prayers holding hands in the living room the family and friends and the pastor did and she said that she needed them to stay occupied and not touching john benet's body so she just like let them do their thing while keeping a close eye on it. And at 1.20 p.m., backup arrives. The next day, the autopsy was performed and Arndt was present for that. She said she'd never seen such savagery done to a child. She is visibly upset by the memories as she's discussing this. But when the coroner pulled back her scalp, exposing a fracture the length of her head, she was just immediately disturbed by like the amount of force that would need to do that. It was an eight and a half inch fracture across her whole top of her skull. And then she mentions the vaginal trauma. So trigger warning. I'm of course going to put a trigger warning on the description in the episode, but so there was some vaginal trauma and she said that, and from what the coroner said, What was seen was not a first-time injury. The coroner said, the evidence said it was inconclusive. So that coroner said inconclusive about that sexual abuse um, connotation that was given with the trauma. But three other medical experts concluded that the injuries were consistent with prior sexual abuse. If there's trauma, like what, what else would it be? There was one spot of blood on her underwear and I guess some... I'm stretching. I don't know how this, I don't know. I don't want to use any kind of description for that, but the trauma, I guess, is just based on any bleeding. And if there's any kind of tearing, they could assume that it's trauma. But how, but, how um, else would she do that? It, uh, like- right. I know. I know. The instrument used is said to have been the broken paintbrush that was nearby in Patsy's paint set. Yeah. Um, And the other part of the broken paintbrush was used to actually strangle Jean Benet, which I will go on to describe at the end here. I'm going to save the body description for the very end so that we can just go over it in one swoop here soon. But Detective Arndt says that she'd become the scapegoat for the blunders in this case, but knows that she was not properly equipped with backup for such a case. And her biggest two mistakes brought up constantly are letting John search the house and letting him put the blanket on her, which, yeah, of course, those are two mistakes. But how could she have known, like, this was going to be this bad? Right. She was criticized. And, of course, like, she – I'm not trying to use an excuse like she's a woman, but – we have, we have John. He's this rich white guy. He just found his daughter. What is she going to do? Like yell at him to put her down? Like stop touching her. Don't like, is she going to panic and get him to pay attention that this is like a crime scene? I don't know. 
I she has like a heart, I feel. Nowadays, yes, people would do that. Yeah, especially because of what happened and how this is still unresolved. This is one of the prime examples. Um, don't touch anything. Don't handle the body. Don't let people walk in and out of a crime scene. Just ob- obvious things, I would think. But she was one person and it was a, a tough a tough place to be. So she's criticized often for handling this case. And it just goes on to get worse with how the case is handled. So it's not even just on her. But there was a lawsuit that she filed against her department because like, she was getting blamed for all of this going wrong. And it was dismissed in June 2001 by a federal judge stating that she failed to prove that the police chiefs violated her First Amendment rights. So she couldn't really get any kind of justice out of having to be the scapegoat for this. Um, It's just pretty, it's annoying, but on the worst spectrum of it. Um, So she is convinced that she knows who did it and never says the name, but in the interview, you can clearly see what she's trying to say. And she does know who it is. And she does know that the, that justice will never be served. That's what she says. And that the person who did it got away and will never be brought in. She's just sure of it. So that. Um, So I do want to share my opinion real quick. I usually try to wait till the end, but uh, I just wanted to ask like maybe why Detective Arndt was so taken aback by John carrying John Bonet up the stairs. Of course, he's like frantic and distraught and he carries her because she's his daughter. But I think the layer that he added into this case is the fact that it's so much worse than than that. Like he is the one who found his slain daughter and it adds like a victim layer to his character in this whole thing. Do you get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So like, of course it wasn't him. Like, oh my God, this was traumatizing enough to find her body. Like why... How would it make sense that I was the murderer on top of that? Yeah. Um, like how dare it, you know, it even be suggested. So that's that's my my angle on it that, you know, he's, you know, trying to put a, a layer of victimization over him. And he's so traumatized, like, don't even try to insinuate he knows anything about it. And I want to ask a question that might come off offensive. But do you think that women in detective work have a different way of perceiving people, settings, um, character like how she judged john right away by him greeting her cordially or do you think men do the same thing whenever they're put in charge and observing Um, since women are said to like overthink and you know read too much into everything i'm just wondering i don't even think it's like based on like gender it's literally just the person like Like a gut feeling situation Because there could be there could be a woman that doesn't think that way, you know what I mean? Like it just right prioritize something else yeah. instead of and who's and if involved. you're gonna be like if you most of the people that are cops have mm-hmm. a certain mentality, and I don't think I don't know. There's guys that I've that I know that are policemen that they fucking jump to conclusions like instantly okay i see what you're saying and then there's the whole layer of like the maternal instinct thing which some women like lack like they don't even really have that and they say they don't have it so uh yeah yeah, just wondering interesting so that interview was done in 99 but emerged again on abc when they did like this let's look back in time special or whatever and it came out again on um in 2012 
And then in 2016, JonBenet's brother Burke does his first interview with Dr. Phil. Oh, I remember that. <laughs> Dr. Phil spoke to the 29-year-old Burke about what he remembers. And um, I didn't watch it. I still haven't really watched it. I've just seen like clips. And it was the only chance to get out as much as they could because who knows if Burke's going to like ever want to talk about it ever again. So Dr. Phil straight up asks him if he murdered his sister and he just says no. People felt so weird about this interview because of the expression on Burke's face, it was like a smile, like Elijah Wood from Sin City. Have you yes. seen that? We talked about it in a previous episode for a minute. You're right. Because that's like instantly what I pictured when I saw his face. I was like, whoa. Yeah. Something's going on. But I mean, it was all chalked up to him being socially awkward. But once again, there's more videos all over the internet analyzing his expressions, how he talks, what he's saying, what he really means. Like people did it. So Check it out if that's what you're interested in. So stupid. Um, what he really means. People really want to, yeah, they really want to be able to say he's lying and they will read between the lines even if it's too far. He was paid for this interview. So, of course, he was like excited probably to do it, but he was just very nervous. And it was the 20th anniversary of her murder. So it was like a big deal. And it was speculated that his parents were protecting him. Because he either was part of this or he knew what happened, saw what happened, somehow was involved. And it's speculated that Burke was MIA the whole investigation the day that she was found because he didn't need to be a normal, curious nine-year-old. He already knew what happened. No need to ask any questions or look around. Ooh. That's one way that people will will frame him uh, for being involved. And I'm pressed for time, so check out all the analyst, uh, analysis videos on your own and, like, interview and everything if you want. But moving on, let's discuss the Burke did it angle real quick. There was a CBS special that introduced this horrifying idea that Burke killed her and the Ramseys covered it up for him. And it's the same theory as Patsy did it because it's like a, a they snapped situation and took it too far. Um, when they say Patsy did it, they say that it was John Bonet's bedwetting that set her off. Mm -hmm. And that's when Patsy goes on to say, like, I love my children. When you have cancer, your stuff prioritizes real quick. Bedwetting is like nothing. That's that's where she tied it in um, to an excuse of how she couldn't have. Because the interviewer straight up was like, you had enough. You were tired of her wetting the bed. They were obviously trying to, like, trigger her to say, right. like, that's so fucked up. I know. It's pretty messed up. That she used the cancer card for everything was also... She did, yeah. Patsy did bring it up uh, herself. So um, she would wet the bed often and she snapped. And they think that Burke snapped in that same kind of way. Um, there were reports about Burke throwing tantrums as a kid. And then we just went over those two friends who gave that information about his behavior towards his sister. Um, wasn't too kind. And he would apparently fly into a blind rage and put that towards her. So the theory for this angle is the Ramses got home between 9.30 and 10 p.m. that night. JonBenet was asleep and was only woken up to use the bathroom before bed. So things are kind of changing in this in this view of it. She's been either she's been carried and put to bed or she's been carried in, woken up to go to the bathroom and then put to bed. She was prone to wetting the bed. So that makes sense that they would try to make, make her go real quick. And Patsy sets Burke up downstairs with a bedtime snack of pineapple and tea. I'm not sure if the tea was for her. I've heard pineapple and milk in yeah. other readings. Mm -hmm. 
And um, which, by the way, it's good if you haven't tried like cream cheese or like cream cheese icing with pineapple. It's delicious. Oh, gosh. Anyway, so they're snacking downstairs. And well, here is where the theory really divides up. Either John Bonet went straight to bed, um, as they said, or she went downstairs hungry as well. Patsy was packing for the Michigan trip that they would be taking the next day. They're leaving in the morning. So she's last minute packing. You know how it is. And Burke's eating in the kitchen. He had apparently been jealous of her gifts earlier that day. And now when she tries to eat his pineapple, he gets upset. In the photos taken from the home, there's a heavy flashlight standing up on the counter. And this is what is believed to have been used to strike John Bonet on the top of the head. Mm-mm. And um, and I remember Dr. Phil bringing this up briefly with a Burke, and he said he wouldn't have been able to like swing that hard. Pretty much is what he said. I, not in those exact words, but he was like, "I'm a nine year old kid. It would have taken a lot of force to really do that." But she's also very tiny, you know. Yeah. And they all they always have like that little soft spot on the top of their head, and she's only six. So I mean. Who knows? I don't know. It was a pretty heavy, it was one of those tall black flashlights. And of course, I'll be posting more photos of the crime scene and everything. Then here's where if the 911 call audio is hiding secrets and all that thing is, all that situation is true. If it is, then it makes sense for Burke to have been up and about asking questions later on. But then this is where we would have to like kind of guess like, okay, Patsy comes in. John Bonet's passed out on the ground. What did you do? Oh God, we gotta ch- we gotta fix this real quick. Bert, go to your room. And then later on, the nine one one call and all that. You know, like let some time pass, make it seem more natural that we had no idea. Yeah. Um, that he knocked her out on accident or whatever. So I do want to say, if he did kill her, and that whole scenario that you just said happened. The mom, her genuinely giving a shit about John Bonet, would she mm. not have been like hysterically crying, or do you think like an adrenaline rush was like? I like, think why would both. she not be like puffy eyed when the cops came? She was, um, she was, but I see what you're saying about the reason being like, um, I would think that the desperation to keep her only child would surpass her need to like be upset at him and want to turn him in. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Like she's already lost John Bonet. As a mother, she would want to protect him. Right. Like don't send him to prison. This doesn't need to be like a, a family scandal of violence and stuff. So I'm assuming she's just trying to like, that's the desperation coming through of like, Oh my God, my daughter's dead. I love her to death, but I'm not going to, even point, you know, insinuate that Burke had anything at all to do with this, regardless of what's right and wrong. Like she just had her own reasoning, you know what I mean, right. about like how to go about it. So that's my that's my theory. Of course, there's like other other theories that could even tie into them still wanting to cover up for Burke, even if she didn't love Jean Benet at all and was just you know using her as, to live out her dream or whatever. Because mm-hmm. that's been mentioned too that. Patsy was more into um, the image than being an actual like mom and being loving, which I have no idea. I don't know her personally, so right. we can't say, but that was one of the theories like of, of a mother possibly being able to go along with this. Like, they right. just ins- they just guess that, well, all JonBenet was was a meal ticket, you know? Yeah. 
But anyway, so with the 911 call and everything, that's when it would like fit in with what did you do? Help me, Jesus. And the Burke in the background asking, what did you find? Have you heard of that? Uh, they no. think they think they think that that's what Burke's voice is asking in the background. What did you find? Interesting. And Mr. Ramsey, this is where he comes in. Um, they can hear his voice on there and they think he's asking or that he's saying, we're not speaking to you. What? In case he's in trouble. So yeah. Patsy's over there like, what did you do? And then Burke's like, what did you find? And then Ramsey's like, we're not speaking to you. So it's like um, continuous, like one thing after another being said. And they have always maintained that Burke was in bed the whole time and all morning too, I guess. Or he just stayed in his room that whole time, which is hard to believe. But it's like a 15 room house, didn't you say? True. Yeah. What if he wasn't? What if he was being mischievous throughout the house and nobody was watching him? Mm-hmm. I want to know where the housekeeper was at, too, because I would have said, like, if we have friends already over, bring the housekeeper over to keep Burke busy. You know what I mean? But yeah, dang, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, the N64 had also just come out this year. Maybe he's got his little setup going in his room. Who knows? He, that could keep a kid busy all day. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just throwing out ideas because I really don't know what Burke really. He's just like so oblivious to what's going on. He has to have known something, just something, not anything having to do with his parents killing her or anything. But like, mm, I don't know. Kids just seem like they would wake up or want to know really badly what's going on and do anything to find out. Yeah. Sneak around or whatever. So years later, more theories and findings, of course. It was discovered during the initial investigation that there was a torch on the kitchen side. This, too, was predicted to be the murder weapon. Regardless of who hit her, it had to be a hard hit with a heavy object to get that head fracture. I don't think she was struck more than once, just revealing how devastating a blow it had to take. Uh, I think it was just one big hit. Um, However, there wasn't DNA on the torch, so it was discounted. But if they had time to clean things before calling 911, could it have been the murder weapon, maybe? Yeah, They just cleaned it really well. The police had not searched when they arrived. I thought that they did, and I didn't mention this, but they didn't search so thoroughly because they didn't expect to have Jean Benet in the home. They thought she was completely gone. So I think they kind of did, like a glance through to see like any broken windows or anything, which they still missed one. So I'm, I'm upset. Maybe they were like hung over from Christmas. You think? I mean, it could be a possibility. They're like, damn, I wasn't supposed to come in today, but or, here we are doing a shitty job. Yeah. I'm, yeah. <laughs> my, they, they, yeah, they're like, that's my only excuse I would be willing to give is they're hung over. They can barely see. <laughs> At that point, they need to be calling in because this is important. Um, so there was no sign of forced entry when they did check. And investigation-wise, I need to mention that the Boulder Police and the Boulder District Attorney's Office didn't get along too well over this whole process. So that was also hindering the investigation. It was such a high-profile case, and they couldn't agree on how to go about it. It was just a whole lot of politics and who did what, who didn't do that, like things like that. So it was very petty. And because the news and the media were, like, going nuts and sensationalizing everything, they were struggling to, like, keep things secret. In fact, the idea that Burke was on the 911 audio was leaked by a police officer. What the fuck? And that's how the press got a hold of it. And then that's how 
the public got the idea to like listen to the audio and enhance it and analyze it and send it to more um, analysts. And also I didn't mention the Ramseys hired their own personal investigator and then the DA hired a private investigator. So they're just like weaseling around each other instead of like working together and it's annoying. What the fuck? Yeah, I'm like really more can go wrong here. So it was a, it's a high profile case and they couldn't agree on how to go about it. And then the Boulder district attorney appointed Detective Lou Smith as lead investigator separate from the police. Um, the local police department, separate from them. And so Lou Smith uh, has since passed away, making it his life's mission to find out who did this. But his granddaughters now have a podcast focused on this case. Oh, Their podcast is, is called, um, I know, it's sweet. And I think that's who the article was talking about when they said the duo. I was like, who us? But no, not <laughs> the duo <laughs> investigating this on a podcast. The podcast is named, uh, is called The Victim's Shoes. And I saw them featured on the 2020 special that I used. So I thought that was very cool that, cool. that they are, their grandfather was really involved heavily. He was like investigating this whole thing on his own. So he had a lot of things in his possession that he shared with his granddaughters. And so I'm going to check out their podcast. You guys should too, because they have a lot of stuff that's true, like real, like real evidence. So I'm going to be taking a listen to that. And um, very inspiring stuff. I didn't check it out. It looks promising. So let's let's take a look. And then Detective Lou Smith really put his all into this. And part of it is he was looking outside the box, whereas everyone was trying their hardest to find where Patsy and John went wrong in their plan, in their scheme. Mm-hmm. He was really trying to think of it as it could have been anyone. So he really thinks that it was a sex predator. Who did this yeah he found things that the local police seemed to have overlooked the morning they investigated the home for the intruders there was a rope near the home outside and it was not tested uh no footsteps were outside but maybe it was snowing that morning so if they did come and go the snow covered their tracks and i'm saying there because it's possibly two people if not one of either patsy or john were involved the basement window was broken And they didn't see that somehow. A footprint was found down in the basement. And there were two small round marks found on John Monet's body, indicative of the use of a stun gun. That's huge. Mm -hmm. They did, to be fair, they did say that the, because it's like two little dots on her back, I think under where her neck is. And those two dots also have been speculated to be marks from some kind of train toy that Burke had, and they assumed that he used it to poke her body after he knocked her out oh unconscious. So that's what they theorized if it was Burke, but if it wasn't Burke, a stun gun was used in either removing her from her bed or maybe they hit her while she was in bed and she woke up uh, along the way and they had to use the stun gun. Everything had to be silent if John and Patsy were not involved or like you said the house is just huge and maybe they had their doors closed and they didn't hear a peep so so the use of a stun gun was speculated and the dots line up perfectly and i'll post a photo it's pretty sad but yeah there's a photo of them holding up a stun or there's a stun gun set down next to where the dots are on her back and they line up perfectly and it's really ugh sad So John Ramsey mentioned in interviews that they were naive to let her compete in pageants. Exposing her to perverts was not smart in hindsight. 
there was DNA found on her underwear and pajamas. And it's not like semen or anything, just some other form of DNA. And the evidence is, this evidence is what cleared the Ramsey family because it didn't match their DNA. But I thought I heard (laughs) that it was like the person at the factory that like put the underwear together. Yes, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. I'm getting there. Which, whoa, like, way yeah, to think, like, outside, outside the was, box. I didn't know A thing. Neither did I. I thought they wore gloves or, like, a machine folds them or something. The well, underwear? not even that. Like, I didn't think that you could still get, like, I don't Or it lasts that long? Yeah. Like, it really like, stuck to the fabric. Yeah, I was like, what? Did they really just open a pack? Well, if she did wet the bed a lot, they might have just had spare packs of unopened underwear that she was just like, here, put this on. Like, I'm not going to wash everything and then and then let you have it if she's never worn it. You know what I mean? Yeah. She just opened a fresh pack and let her put it on, I'm assuming. Or you're right. The freaking DNA stays on forever past doing the laundry. I doubt it. Well, Ever, and I used to not uh, wash my clothes after I'd buy them. I would just fucking put them on. But ever since that, I, I literally have washed all my clothes before or after I buy them. Buying them yeah. and then before you buy them. Yeah, that makes sense. I now will be doing the same in case I'm ever murdered. Um, I don't want some innocent person to be. <laughs> Anyways, so um, where is it? Okay, so yeah, there's DNA found on her underwear and pajamas. This evidence is what's cleared the Ramsey family of any participation in this crime. And it was a new technology used to re-examine the underwear and its unknown male's DNA. So they have it, but it didn't match any of like the 1.5 million already in the system of sex offenders. It didn't match any of those. So it's just an unknown male's DNA on her clothes. And that's gross, but at least there's a chance that her parents didn't do it, which is the worst case scenario, in my opinion. Yeah. Or, I mean, the whole thing is the worst case scenario, but you know what I mean. The exoneration didn't come soon enough, though, because Patsy passed away from ovarian cancer in 2006. And they were exonerated in, I think, 2008. John remarried, and he lives in Michigan, and he talks about forgiveness and has since written a book over the whole ordeal. Burke is now a software engineer and just stays out of the limelight, although now he has made his identity public after going on that interview with Dr. Phil. The the body. So here we go. There was an 8-inch skull fracture that could only be caused by a heavy blow on her skull. And the cause of death, however, was a disturbing use of a garrote. Just horrible because what, what it is is... It's a string that's around her neck, and then the string itself is wrapped around the the stem of something. In this case, it was the brush, the paintbrush. Oh, and so, gosh. as that's getting twisted, it's getting it's getting tighter around her neck, and that's what they used to asphyxiate her, which ended up being the cause of death was asphyxiation. That's sad. Which just means that she was alive for longer than than anybody probably thought, which uh, just, it's heartbreaking. So there was a broken paintbrush handle attached to the other end of the string to twist and tighten the string. And as, and if she did struggle, there were ligature marks on her neck. And as she continued to struggle, it just got tighter and it drew blood from her neck a little bit and left some bruising. It would just tighten until she couldn't breathe anymore. The other thing is there were signs that she was sexually abused, most likely by 
the broken piece, the other broken piece of the paintbrush that was used in the garage. And there were signs that she tried to remove the ligature so she was alive while being handled to some extent, at least until the use of the garage uh, completely asphyxiated her till she died. But there was also a chunk of undigested pineapple in her stomach, mm-hmm. which really ties the whole other theory together, if if that has anything to do with it. Okay, now here we move on to suspects. Outside of the family, we have Bill McReynolds. He had been at the home for the party the other day. He dressed as Santa Claus sometimes, so I'm assuming he was dressed as Santa for that Christmas party three days ago. He is strange because his own daughter was kidnapped 22 years before this event, and his wife had written a play about a kid getting molested and then murdered in a basement. Oh, my God. I'm not sure about the timing of that, but very strange. And he also said that, um, in reference to John Bonet, her murder was harder on, on me than my operation. She made a profound change in me. And he brought a vial of glitter that was a gift from John Bonet. She gave it to him while he was dressed as Santa. And he brought it with him into surgery. And then he even asked his wife to mix the glitter into his ashes when she when he dies. What? So he was kind of obsessive, um, had a slight attachment to John Bonet. But um, moving on, Gary Oliva. He lived a few blocks away from the Ramseys, and in 2016, he was arrested on charges of child pornography. But before that, in December of 2000, so four years after her murder, he was arrested on unrelated drug charges, but in his backpack, they found a photo of John Bonet Ramsey, and that's fucking weird. So when he had to explain himself, he said, her murder touched me very deeply, I feel the need to build a, mo- a monument, a shrine to remember this little girl. What the fuck? It was something along those lines. I think he said a little bit more than that, but I, I shortened it. There was also, guess what? A stun gun in his backpack. Of Unless course. this is sensationalized, we can't just take everything and run with it, but that's pretty messed up. It could have been a trophy, that photo that he had of her. Oh, don't. Um, oh, plus no. the stun gun. Then there's Michael Vale said in an interview that Gary called him a day after the murder. So Michael Vale is friends with this Gary Oliva guy. And after the murder, he calls him and told him, I hurt a little girl. I hurt a little girl. He asked where and Oliva said Boulder, Colorado. There were no reports other than John Bonet's case in that area for that time. So after he said that, Oliva then hung up the phone very chilling, but wait, the strangulation method used on John Bonet was also used when Gary tried to strangle his own mother with a telephone cord. Oh my gosh. Technique, stun gun, photo of John Bonet, like, come on, what else? And this is all through In Touch magazine, so again, it might be decorated information, but whatever. But again, the DNA found on John Bonet didn't match him, so he was cleared. Same thing with the other guy. He was also cleared. So these weirdos are just weirdos, but they are not tied to the crime. Then there's a whole nother brand of weirdo that we like to call John Mark Carr. He's a divorced father and uh, he confessed in an email to a journalism professor who had been talking to him for four years to gain his trust. This um, professor, he was like trying to keep things friendly with this John guy because he knew something was weird. Carr confessed to him in the emails in 2006 that uh, he killed John Bonet. 
with weird details, like horrible romantic type details that he told her, like, shut your beautiful eyes and like weird stuff like that. It was, and he said it was very disturbing for him. The, the professor, um, Michael Tracy, he had to keep up the facade and like take in all this information, like squirming in his seat without letting Carr know that he was like really disturbed. Oh my goodness. And in his email, he used similar wording as the ransom note, and he used Patsy's mom's nickname, Nettie, which is weird for him to know. He wrote that he was in love with John Bonet and that he took her out of the bed and into the basement, and she asked where she was, and he said that we're in your basement, and he hit her with a flashlight. That's what he said. On August 16th, 2008, with British intelligence, Royal Thai authorities, and U.S. Department of Homeland Security, uh, they found Carr hiding in Thailand, trying to escape a child pornography charge in California. Oh my gosh. So he was in hiding in Thailand, which is, ugh. This gave the, the clearance of the Ramses a push. So after all these like weirdos started coming forward, then they were like, okay, let's let up on patsy and john a little bit i guess but the dna didn't match his either so he wasn't charged he maintained that he didn't act alone and there were two separate footprints found so maybe he didn't act alone if he was involved what the fuck just his dna wasn't there then the family hired a private investigator ollie gray who says a michael helgoth 26 years old did it and he owns a junkyard in the city oh no he works at a junkyard but i think he's an electrician at this time but they just mentioned what he did and who he was. Not really anything detailed. But okay, here's where it gets fucking weird. Are you even ready for this? No. Oh, my God. So now we um, we kind of got closer to insinuating this earlier when we were talking about, like, perverts and, like, the neighbors and, like, the friends knowing something was going on. And, like, three days before that 911 call, that was weird. They're saying there are rumors of, like, a sex trafficking ring in that area at the time. Mm -hmm. And there's a cult leader that seems to... I don't know. Let's let's just look into it. So, this theory is crazy. The show that they're talking about is... I forgot. One of the other docuseries mentioned this whole theory. So, the cult leader. The show hinges on a tip-off. I'm reading from The Sun again. A tip-off from convict Bernice Johnson serving 20 years for attempting to murder her ex-partner, Todd Fuss. She claims Todd and an accomplice could have been John Bonet's killers and said that the kidnapping, it was a kidnapping for hire. And it had been ordered by cult leader Scott Carruthers. Scott Carruthers is believed to um, be a cult leader that could contact aliens through cats. What the fuck? Yeah, so he's like in touch with aliens. He knows he knows the deal and for some reason he needs John Bonet. So in 1989, Bernice was living in Maryland and met Carruthers who had formed a group called BDX, Beta Dominion Xenophilia. Okay. Which he claimed was a level of US intelligence 39 levels above the White House and run by aliens. 39 specific I know. Um, hey, who's to say he's lying? We don't know. So Scott claimed that he could communicate to the mothership through cats and recruited female members who became his sexual partners, moving them into his Maryland home, often with their children. But cult expert Mark Powers suggested he may also have been grooming young girls. We heard that the daughters of the families that were involved in the group, I think one was 13, that he was cultivating to be a princess in the group. The I'm fuck? not really sure what that meant, but what he was involved with 
um, the other women in the group and the natural assumption that he was cultivating them as the next step. Carruthers formal, former chauffeur, John Griffin, also believed he was a danger to girls. Bernice claims Carruthers hired Todd Fuss to kidnap John Bonet and that he, w- he wrote the ransom note. The text included the words countermeasures and tactics, buzzwords Carruthers often used, and was signed off with the word victory, exclamation point, another term he favored. It was claimed that mysterious signature SBTC stood for Scott Brooke Truth Carruthers, a name that he had been known to use. What? In 2002, Carruthers was jailed for plotting to kill four people who opposed the BDX, and court documents also revealed a plot to kidnap a six-year-old girl. (sighs) Carruthers denies any involvement in the murder, and a journal written by a follower places him in Maryland on Christmas Day 1996. Mm. So, man, so close yet so far. That is fucking nuts. That, But the whole SBTC part really was like, whoa. Yeah. That's a little bit closer for me. Another suspect, the pageant dad. It's not the only theory in this same show, and I will mention it in a second because I'll have to go up and look, but... Mum Patsy, a former beauty queen, had entered JonBenet in local pageants from babyhood, and she was well-known on the circuit. Dressed up to the nines, slathered in makeup, and sporting bouffant hairdos, the confident little girl can be seen in numerous videos strutting her stuff on the stage and posing for pictures. Bernice tells Robert Clark that she and Todd, Todd Fuss, entered their daughter, Cinnamon, into pageants in Boulder where they came across the Ramses, and that her partner behaved oddly towards the other girls, this Todd person. I found him leaning on a door frame where some little girls were getting dressed. Some older little girls were getting dressed. And I said, don't you think it'd be a little weird if some strange man was watching your little girls get dressed and put on makeup? She says, he started cussing, telling me I need to mind my own business. He also, she also claims that he boasted about breaking into houses. And just before Christmas 1996, he told her, He was going to come into some money. He also put a deposit on a new truck, which he couldn't afford, telling the garage to hold it until he could pay in January. What the fuck? Yep, so that's weird. And I'm guessing it it comes back down to the DNA not matching. The junkyard mechanic is who I mentioned earlier, Michael Helgoth. He was already the focus of one investigation. The mechanic worked in a junkyard in Boulder, and a colleague, John Kennedy, revealed that in the run-up to the murder... He had said he couldn't wait until Christmas, as he and a partner were about to make fifty to sixty thousand each. Whoa! <laughs> he also allegedly asked what it would feel like to crack a human skull. He claims his torch, his prized possession, went missing before the murder. What the fuck? Like all these little bitty, and they're all over the place. Yes. What if everyone's involved? Yes. God damn! It's all spread out to throw us all off. <laughs> It's the whole group at this point. A large torch that did not belong to the Ramses was found in the kitchen uh, of the house after the murder. So this torch, like, it wasn't theirs this whole time. I didn't even know that till I just read this right now. Wait a minute. It was was those big uh, black ones. So they say. And I'm, I'm picturing a fucking security guard with those fucking things. What's, who's to say that it wasn't like a cop's and he like forgot it was there. And it was in the photo, maybe. I'll have to look into that. But if it's this guy's, like, geez, what the heck? Also, not to mention, he uh, died from an apparent suicide in 1999. So they couldn't even really ask him anything. Mm -hmm. 
when they stopped uh, trying to pin it on John and Patsy, they ran out of time to ask that guy anything. And Bernice Johnson claimed Todd Fuss had taken her to Helgoth's yard on several occasions and was on friendly terms with the staff. Helgoth died in an apartment suicide in 1999, days after a press conference when DA Alex Hunter claimed police were closing in on the suspects. He got nervous if it was him. A stun gun and a pair of high-tech boots were found near his body. A stun gun again? This can't be real. Mm -hmm. Did everybody just have stun guns instead of pepper spray back then, or what? (laughs) The program asked for a DNA sample from Helgoth's family, but they were unable to provide one. How were you unable? Yeah, just go to his, like, hairbrush and give him a piece of something. Then there's the drifter. In a completely separate theory, retired police officer Jim Benish believes John Benet's death could be linked to two other murders. Tracy Neef, who bears a striking re- resemblance to John Benet, was seven when she was abducted on the way to school in 1984. Her body was found in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains near Boulder. While working on the case years later, Benish came across brothers Todd and Aaron Schnalu. Aaron, who had a juvenile conviction for sexual assault, had been arrested and jailed for the murder of four-year-old Lacey Ruff, whose body was found floating in the sea in Hawaii in 1993. Todd gave evidence against his older against his brother, but witnesses claimed the person they saw carry the little girl to the sea was in his late 20s, which fitted the description of Todd rather than Aaron. He is also reported to have admitted to a family member that he had done a terrible thing in Hawaii and had been the one to carry the little girl down the water. All three girls were sexually assaulted and then strangled they're like just Hmm. really just yeah they're really trying to reach i'm sure there were more murders of little girls yeah Hmm. clark also concludes although the theory that scott carruthers may be connected to the ransom note is captivating he adamantly denies any involvement and we cannot place him in colorado at the time of the murder so that's that the suspects are all over the place but (laughs) Investigators found, guess how many predators living within a three-kilometer radius of the home? 30. 38. Damn it! (laughs) You're always so close, man. God damn it. But 38? Three kilometers? How many? That's like so close to where they lived. That's so sad. That's horrible. Yeah. Who knows if they have a separate forum on some website and they all know about it and they're just like, dang So-and-so really did get away with it, huh? Oh, my Mm-mm. God. That's terrible. I hate thinking of all of these separate realities, like, taking place at the same time like that. Stop like, it. Imagine being the person who did it, like, watching the news being like, wow, they have no idea. Yeah. Horrible. Justice needs to be served. This little girl has been gone so long, and thank goodness we've learned so much since then, but wow. The Boulder lead investigator, Mark Beckner, former police chief, said his confession did not match the evidence on the scene and checked into his confession, and he was in Georgia at the time of the murder. This is referring back to John Carr, who was found in Thailand. He's very a very messed up individual, but it was concluded that he could not have been a part of John Bonet's murder at all. Then, as you brought up, Dr. Henry Lee is a DNA expert, and he concluded that the DNA may have been from the manufacturer, which opened the suspect list back up, a.k.a. the Ramses might have been involved. Jesus Christ. It can still be them. Um, it just wasn't 
found on her clothes. So he opened a fresh pack of underwear and found DNA on those, which Mm -hmm. proved his prediction to be true. Rumors were spreading. There was a child sex trafficking ring in Boulder and maybe the Ramseys participated until it went too far. Or maybe the real reason they wanted their friends over that morning was so that they couldn't go to the police first. Okay. Keep your friends close. You know what I mean? So that's my theory. Uh, I didn't read that anywhere, but I mean, would you really be calling your friends? I would want to go through this in private. I don't need people coming over and like watching me cry and stuff because I'm worried sick. If anything, I would like call my family maybe, but. But not like have them come over during this, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I'm sure. Well, and thankfully now the cops would at least be like uh, they can't come inside or they can't even like come close to where the fuck you're at right now. Right, right. And who's to say, you know, maybe John Bonet, something happened three days ago and the continuation finished up, you know, and so now she's dead and the neighbors know about it. So let's call them over and make sure they don't say anything to the police. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's that. There, there are still, it's an ongoing thing. It's not a closed case yet, but they're really running out of suspects because it's just been so long and people are passing away. You know, if it was, if the guy might've been an old guy back then, he's long gone now, you know? Yeah. Um, geez, but I don't even know. I don't, I didn't even write anything to wrap this up because it's just so open still this whole thing. Yep. I, when I die and I plug back into um, (laughs) the collective consciousness, I'm going to fucking find out what the fuck happened. Right. This is a lot of people's answer when they're asked, what is the one crime that you wish you could like see what happened or maybe not see what happened, but have it explained like in full what happened this is usually people's first thing they think of or the casey anthony casey anthony's another one i know that dumb bitch did it i that one is (laughs) that one is fucking fucked up but i know that her fucking mom did it damn i mean sociopaths can have kids too you know yeah narcissists can have kids too that's the scary part so that was that. That was the life and mysterious murder of John Benet Ramsey. Ugh, it still just gives me the creeps to to think of how many people it could have been. Maybe all of them. I don't know. I know. There's just so much. I don't know. It's just fucking insane. I didn't even get into Burke's questions or answers when he was uh, evaluated by a psychologist when he was 11 because... I mean, if it's not going to count for anything, I didn't really include it, but it, it does exist. So you guys can go watch that or listen to that. He basically just says that his mom came in and he just went back to bed. That's all. That's the, the basically what happened. What the fuck? Mm-hmm. I was going to do a Scott Peterson update, but for the most part, there's nothing going on besides the fact that he's off death row. And um, if you guys don't remember or if you haven't heard my 
series on Scott Peterson and Lacey Peterson. Lacey Peterson was murdered back in 2002 in California. And Scott Peterson was by the media, by the public, by the police, everybody. He was the one who did it. And still to this day, people are not giving up that it was him. I, I kind of say it might not be him, but that's just me. He's on a, he's serving life in prison basically is what they changed it to while they're still investigating. So he's off death row, but he is going to be serving life in prison without the possibility of parole. That's all they did. That's what they uh, mm-hmm. sentenced him as uh, this continues. But uh, there is also a Josh Duggar update and he was Ooh. found guilty or guys. How did we not? get back on with this yes we should but yeah for the most part this is the the end here we can definitely give some updates before the new year hey guys next time we hear from y'all or you guys hear from us it'll be 2022 (laughs) but josh duggar wow he is disgusting yeah for fucking sure dude and i read the um oh no what was on his computer yes i read the description and it was fucking terrible was it violent? It was violent. Yes. The last, there was God. some that wasn't, but there was some that was extremely violent. And the baby, it was to a baby. She was three or four months old. No. I wonder if it was the, um, ugh, which I was going to cover this, but it's just way too dark. It was making me sick. But this Australian guy, uh, they finally caught him. If this is the same video that was found on Josh Duggar's computer. It's called the destruction of Daisy and Daisy was only three months or four months old. Oh my God. I know exactly what you're talking about. I remember hearing Daisy's destruction. Ugh, That's what it's called. There's a Australia special on it on YouTube that I watched and they really, with all this computer stuff, people forget like we have CIA and like FBI and they know how to do hacking and like getting into the computer, but so do regular ass people. And so do fucking monsters. They know how to fucking hide shit online and use the dark web. And it's just so horrible. Yes. So that's how Josh was able to like get a hold of that kind of material. Because obviously they're constantly checking online, like how to get rid of it, how to. But with the dark web type stuff, like it has to be purchased and like given to them Well, on like a drive or something. The woman, the detective, or I guess the detective, the agent, uh, she said that was working that case she says that she had like a software on her computer that like basically anyone any ip address that accesses of this like a specific website that is oh it'll flag yeah that it flags and she said that josh's did like she so the first time it it flagged she like kept a log of how many times he went in there and like that's what i was gonna say she had to keep that document Mm -hmm. that documented so they were investigating him for a long time before they finally were able to do that and i figured because they really wanted to get him good like put him away so they really waited to get enough evidence to like say you're you're fucking sick you need to be yeah rotting in prison but he's only gonna serve the maximum is 20 years jeez well i will say good luck to his dad who's running for governor or mayor or something right now Oh lord (laughs) i wonder if he's trying to like desperately 
get the limelight away from his disgusting son. Um, mm. And yeah, there's a lot of speculation as to whether his wife was like fine with this because there's oh, no way yes. she didn't know. That's exactly what I was telling Jeremy. Like, she, God. I wonder if she was like, you know what? I know that you're as long as you don't sick. touch our yes. kids. As long as you don't touch our kids and oh. as long as you don't talk about it to me, then you can do whatever the fuck you want. But he also wasn't looking at it at home. He was looking at it at work. Oh, he probably had a secret computer, like a separate. Oh, no, I think it then was he'd his have work to go computer, away. But I think he was self. Ew. I think he's self-employed. Um, oh, but he would like. She wouldn't be wondering what he's doing on his computer, though, in other words, yeah. like, while he's at home. He only like, looked oh, at working. it whenever he was at the office. And I think it Gross. was that um, I think it was that used car place that we talked about at one point. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Wow. Well, geez. A whole lot of dark, dark stuff. Um, I didn't really mean to make it this dark right before the holidays and stuff. So maybe we should like talk about something light before we <laughs> wrap it up. What are we going to, no what is there? Outro. Uh, okay. For one, I finally watched home alone all the way through as an adult. And that is funny, but also very scary because I had a nightmare once that I was alone and no one was there. And that was the worst feeling I've ever felt. Okay. I thought you said that you were going to keep it alive. <laughs> But on the on the positive side, I love that home. John Hughes, the guy who always like sets up all of these little movies from the 90s. Mm-hmm. Her house was so cute. But what got me the most, it tripped me out, to be honest, because obviously I was on edibles and watching this in the tub like I always do. This That's my comforting. Okay, that's my self-care. Nobody judge me. I saw that they also like to have the same color of cosmetics and toiletries in their bathroom. And they're the same color as mine. Mint. Stop it. <laughs> like, I'm talking like my shampoo is in a mint bottle. And it's not, it's not like, which I should be. I'm going to save the refillables that I have now. But um, anyways, I, it tripped me out because I didn't know p- other people did that in their bathroom. Like, the, to- the, to- the toothpaste matches the shampoo and the shampoo matches the soap. I didn't know like, anybody did that to begin with. Wow. It's fun. It's just aesthetically pleasing. That's all. That's what really got me. Like I, he was, you know, it's the scene where he's going to like put the toner on his face or whatever Mm -hmm. after the aftershave. Mm -hmm. And I saw the sink and I was like, no way. I don't think I've ever noticed that. Only you and your, (laughs) only this one time I noticed. Um, and, uh, also I know what could have prevented the whole thing. If his little cousin wasn't a bed, a bedwetter. What happened? Because. Because the cousin was a bedwetter, his mom felt bad after she punished oh, him and put him up in the attic. And so if he was going to be sharing his bed with his cousin, they would have not forgotten him. But because he didn't share his bed with his cousin, they forgot him. That is correct. That is <laughs> correct. I just had to get my mind. That was just a little palate cleanser. That's all. I'm, uh, I just needed that. Okay, guys, it's been it's been rough reading over and over this uh case but what are your favorite like holiday movies or what do you consider like stuff oh you God. should watch around I christmas you were gonna say what is your favorite unsolved murder oh geez yeah let's bring it back we have plenty of time to discuss those i don't i i don't have a favorite well guys that about wraps it up for well 
this year for Gimme the Creeps. Make sure you are following us on Instagram at G-I-M-M-E, the creeps, and on Twitter so that you know what we're up to, what we're discussing for the week. And um, make sure you leave us an Apple review because we would really appreciate that as well. That really helps us out. Don't forget about the short story contest slash giveaway. The deadline is mid-February, so share that idea with your family and friends. And please stay safe and watch your little ones because this is just a messed up world. And hopefully next year, it's a whole lot nicer of a world. Thank you guys so much for joining us every week. We love you and cherish you. Happy holidays. So, did we give you the creeps?